Appreciate Ralph and, and uh, others filling in this morning. Thank you so much, brother. A great time of worship. I want to keep praying for Wayne. Uh, this week he has some, some health procedures done, so I just want to encourage you to keep praying for him and praying the Lord's healing in, in his life. Um, there are a lot of products that promise transformation. I remember some years ago when P90X was going to change your life, right? And, and I guess maybe if you did it regularly, perhaps it did. I don't know. Um, obviously, I didn't. Uh, or insanity, do you remember insanity? Or, or take this pill, if you take this pill every day, it's going to change your whole life. You're going to have so much energy. You're going to have your teenage figure. Or take these supplements, if you take these supplements, your life is going to be completely changed. Or catch this guru, guru on Dr. Phil and get his self-help book. It's, it's going to be great for you. Or for churches, when you think congregationally, if you'll just do this program, or if you'll have these events, it's going to transform your church. It's going to make all the difference in the world if you have this event or that speaker or you do this. Now, the reason these things sort of resonate with our hearts is because all of us know we need change, right? Every one of us knows that there are areas in our lives where we really do need some transformation. Maybe it's in regard to anger, Perhaps you lose your cool just like that, and you say things you didn't mean to say. You, you yell at the people that you love, and you know you, you need some change. Or maybe you're a worrier, and you're always worrying. You're, you're worrying about this or that. My dad always used to tell my mom, because my mom has a tendency to be a worrier, well, Vicky, it's working because nothing you're worrying about has happened yet, right? So, so um, we all know that, that we need some transformation. We, we, we need some shaping and some work. And, and when you think at a congregational level, um, we, we ask, well, what do we focus on? What, what should we be doing? And, and so, uh, whether it's at, at an individual level as a believer in the Lord Jesus, or whether it's at a congregational level as a, fa- congregational level as a family of faith, um, we recognize we, we, need, uh, we need some help. We need some guidance. When Nehemiah will see that God's word is meant to bring transformation in our lives as individuals and in our lives as a congregation. You'll remember that the people of God in Judah, the southern kingdom, were in a mess. The city had been in shambles. Nehemiah had come to to Judah to begin to help rebuild the walls around the city uh, of Jerusalem. And when a city's walls were, were not in place, there was a, uh, a, v- a very significant security risk because uh, enemies could come and attack. And, and also there was an element of, of morale, low morale. When the city was in shambles, when the walls were broken down, it was a constant reminder that things are a mess here. Imagine a disaster zone where there hasn't been good cleanup. And the kind of low morale that produces. So the people of God had been in a really difficult and challenging situation. Nehemiah came and by the good hand of God, he led the people in rebuilding the walls uh, around Jerusalem. And at this point in time, the walls have been rebuilt. And now Nehemiah and Ezra, another leader that we'll meet today, um, are leading the people to a firm commitment to the word of God. Let's look in Nehemiah chapter 8. 
All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Skipping down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Skipping down to the end of verse 7. The Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. In this chapter, we'll see that God's people were transformed by God's word. In verse 1, we see that the people had gathered together as one. All the people gathered together in unity around the word of God. You see, the word of God brought a certain unity to the family of God. That's, that's what you see, or to the people of God. Here we see that Ezra, the scribe, he was a priest, is opening the word of God before the people. Uh, he is going to read this book of the law. Now, this would have been the first five books of the Bible, uh, often called the, the Pentateuch. He would be reading from those scriptures. Notice that as they gathered together, the gathering is a gathering of men and women and all who could understand. What does that mean? That means you got you got men, you got ladies, you got kids. All the kids who were able to grasp what was being taught were gathered there together in the assembly. This was the first day of the seventh month. The seventh month was a really important month in the life of the Jewish people because there was a, a lot of celebration and, and a lot of uh, uh, reflecting on God's goodness in their lives. The first day here is... Uh, uh, of the seventh month is the Feast of the Trumpets. We'll talk more about that in, in just a moment. But they're gathered together here uh, on the, in the seventh month, which would be our September, October. They're, they're gathering, and Nehemiah opens the book. And all the people watch, not Nehemiah, pardon me, Ezra opens the book. And all the people watch Ezra open the book. What's significant about this? Because Ezra is making a statement before the people as he opens that scroll. And what's the statement that he's making? He is saying the word of God speaks. The word of God has authority. So Ezra, on his own, doesn't really have authority. Ultimately, the authority that Ezra brings is the authority of the word of God. And so as he opens the book, the people stand. There's a reverence for the word. There's an understanding that this book isn't just any book, but these are the very words of God. So here you see an emphasis upon the authority of Scripture, on the fact that the people of God believed that the word of God was true. In fact, Ezra stands on a platform that was designed, we see in this passage, for that purpose. What does this mean? That as the walls are being rebuilt around Jerusalem and those walls uh, are being finished, at the same time, Nehemiah is leading in the construction of a platform that Ezra might climb the platform and that he might read the word of God in a sense to bring the people 
uh, together around the word of God. So, so Nehemiah isn't just concerned about the walls of the city, but he's very concerned about the spiritual, uh, uh, the spiritual work of God and the lives of, of God's people. And so as Ezra read, the people stood and they said, amen, amen. What are they saying? They're saying, we agree. The word is true. The word is right. And they're agreeing. And then they begin a time of worship. Ezra begins to, to, to bless God and to praise God. And the people are lifting their hands. And there's a sense in which lifted hands represent the fact that, that we're needy. We need God to, 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 to work in our lives, to place something in our hands, if you will. So their hands are lifted in genuine, heartfelt worship. And the next thing you know, they're bowing down. And their faces are to the ground. What do we see here? We see humble worship. Heartfelt worship, humble worship. Notice that the word is working in the hearts and the lives of God's people. Now, there were some uh, uh, among the people of God who probably wouldn't have had a good grasp of Hebrew. The Pentateuch, or the first five books, would have been written in Hebrew, and Ezra would have been reading in Hebrew. You'll remember that the people of God were carried off into Babylon, and the primary language. Uh, at that time, uh, the primary language of the people wouldn't have been Hebrew. It would have been Aramaic. And so some of the Jews probably didn't have a firm grasp uh, on Hebrew. And so you see there in verse 8 that there were Levites who were explaining to the people who were having difficulty understanding, they were explaining it to the people. What's important for us to grasp here is that everybody needed to get the word. It wasn't just for the leaders or for the uh, uh, priest to get, but the word was for every person to understand and to grasp and to get a hold of, that the word might shape their lives. Now, I want you to imagine, and I know all of us have done this at some point in time, that you're sitting in an arena and it's a basketball game, and there are seconds left in the game and both teams are tied. And, and I mean, everybody is on the edge of their seat. What's going to happen? Is he going to be able to make that outside shot? Is he going to be able to go in for a layup? Are they going to tie? Is he going to go into overtime? And, and everybody's hearts are, are beating and they're on the edge of their seat. That's what's happening here with the people of God. There's a sense in which they are on the edge of their seats. They are listening attentively to the word of God. It matters to them. That's what I want you to get. They're not coming to the word as if, oh, I've heard this a thousand times before. They're coming to the word with an, a hunger. Their heart says, God, I want to know. I'm on the edge of my seat. God, I want your word to speak to me, to, to change me, to shape me. That, that's what you see here amidst the people of God. Let's pick up in verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And skipping down to verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So here, Nehemiah, he's the governor. He's leading the people. Ezra is a priest, leading the people spiritually. 
Uh, you have Levites who are also priests leading uh, the people spiritually. And they say to the people, this is a holy day to the Lord. Now, this was a reference to Leviticus 23, 24. Why? Because the first day of the seventh month was the Feast of the Trumpets. And the Feast of the Trumpets was meant to be a day of great rejoicing in the midst of the people of God. It was meant to be a day of, of eating and joy. In fact, the leaders say to the, the people, hey, don't mourn. We know that you were crying and weeping because of the sin that is in your life. You're worshiping God and you're, you're turning from sin. Your hearts are broken over your sin. But hey, today, according to the word of God, is meant to, to be a day of great rejoicing. There is a time to weep over our sin. But today is a day to celebrate the goodness of God in our lives and the way that God has worked in the midst of, uh, of, our, of our, uh, our people. And so he says... Eat, eat a good meal, drink a good drink, and share with others who, who don't have, and be joyful. And that's what the people did. They, they, they followed through. They, they obeyed. Now, imagine uh, celebrating the 4th of July. You celebrate the 4th of July, and you're joyful, and you're having good food. But the way we celebrate the 4th of July is very different than the way that we celebrate Memorial Day. When we celebrate or observe Memorial Day, we usually have a time uh, that is somber in nature. Why? Because we're remembering those who have given their lives in the service of our nation. When we celebrate the 4th of July, we're celebrating the fact that we have freedom and independence as a country. And so the way that we celebrate those two is very different. And that's what the leaders were saying to the people. Today, God means for you to rejoice in him. God means for you to rejoice in the word. Today is a day for celebrating. There will be times, of course, for weeping and mourning over sin. And so the people celebrate. Let's pick up in verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Skipping down to verse 18. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So what happens now on the second day is the heads of the various families of Israel, they gather together with Ezra and the other Levites, and they begin to study the word of God more in depth. And what I want you to get is this. Amongst the leaders of the people of God, there was a hunger to know the word deeply. A hunger to, to study and to learn about God and to know God. To, to be committed to God. Now this was very important because Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, encourage families to read the word and to talk about the word all throughout the day in the morning when you get up and, and when you have a meal and when you walk along the path, the Israelites were instructed to be teaching their children. So what you see here is the leadership of the people of God understanding that they had responsibility for instructing and teaching their families. So there was a clear commitment in the leadership to know the word of God that they might uh, instruct others that they had responsibility for. And so in studying the word, it became clear 
that the Feast of Tabernacles was approaching. Now, I said earlier the seventh month was important because it begins with the Feast of Trumpets, there's the Day of Atonement, and then there is the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths on the 15th of the month. And so in reading, here it is, 13 days away, they're they're, uh, reading this on the second day of the month, and 13 days, the nation is supposed to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. And in reading, they said, hey, we haven't been doing this. We should obey. We should do what God's word says. And so they began to, to uh, talk about observing the Feast of Booths. And in the verses that we skipped, verses 15 and following, they began to gather branches and everything. And what they would do at the Feast of Booths is they would set up temporary shelters. And for seven days, they would live in temporary shelters. And it was meant to remind the people of God that God had delivered them miraculously from Egypt, leading them out of slavery and oppression. And as they left Egypt, they dwelt in the... the uh, they dwelt in the desert or, or in the forests and, and, and wilderness. Pardon me, I got it out finally. They dwelt in the wilderness, and so they would set up temporary shelters. And God provided for them and met their needs. And the Feast of Booths was meant to remind the people that God had delivered them miraculously and had provided for them, had met their needs. And it was meant to remind them that they needed to continue to rely upon Him for their sustenance and for their life. And so they said, we haven't been doing this. We should do it. And skipping down to verse 18, they, they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth, they had a solemn assembly. In other words, they did exactly what had been prescribed in the law. If you went back and you read what was taught in the law about the, the feast of tabernacles, they obeyed it. What you see is that the word of God is shaping the people and giving them an eagerness to obey God and to follow him. to to do what he says to do. So in reflecting on this text, it is clear that we too must be transformed by the word of God. We too, as a people, must be transformed by the word of God. Let's consider seven ways that, that God's word brings transformation among his people. First, God's word brings forth unity. God's word brings forth unity. Now, if there is an accident out on the highway, a bad accident, and you see EMS uh, workers there responding. There isn't, when they get there on the scene of that accident, this sense in which they're trying to decide what ought to be done. What's their goal? Their goal is to save lives, and they're doing what it takes to save lives. They don't sit down and have a meeting and one say, well, I think this would be a good idea. Let's work with this vehicle first, then we'll check on that one. No, there's none of that. They, they are unified around the goal of saving lives, and they act quickly, and they act swiftly. And here, the word has brought a certain unity to the people of God. Why? Because, and we see in in Nehemiah, the people were committed to the word of God. And because of that, they were gathered together around the word as one man. That's what what Nehemiah uh, 8.1 says. And we too have unity as we gather around the word of God. Now, as a church family, every member of this church wouldn't agree on every theological issue. I'm confident about that. One person would say this and one person would say that. But it would be on secondary issues because on primary issues like the authority of Scripture, like the deity of the Lord Jesus, all of these kinds of things, we're committed to what the Word teaches. We have a certain unity that comes from our commitment to the Word. And that's what you see in Nehemiah. In a church where we don't believe or we're not sure if the Word is completely true, you can't have unity. Why? Because one person says this. Well, I think the Word says this and I think the Word says that. And yet the plain teaching of Scripture is ignored. 
And so what brings unity among, among the people of God? Well, it's a commitment to the clear teachings of Scripture on, on the essentials. And, and so as a church, we gather around a, a statement of faith called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And, and as members of, of this congregation, we affirm that statement. We have unity around what we believe Scripture clearly teaches. And you cannot have true unity outside of that. And we see that here amongst the people of God, unified around a commitment to the authority of the word. Second, God's word brings forth authentic worship. God's word brings forth authentic worship. Now, in the life of a church, worship is a hot topic often, right? Well, I like this kind of music, and I like this style of worship, and this is the kind I want, and this is the kind I don't like it when they do that, whatever it is, or, oh, they always do this. And what happens, and we don't often see this, is that the big issue here is the letter I. But in worship, please understand, brothers and sisters, and we see it here in Nehemiah, when our worship is directed in the right way and our worship is heartfelt, I shrinks down so tiny you can't even see it. And God is exalted and the focus is put upon him. And so if our worship is to honor God, it cannot be about me. It cannot be. It must be about him. And so as a church, we must be committed to this. The worship is about a heartfelt and humble love for God. And it's, gather, it's us gathering together as a church family to glorify his name. Sometimes I'll probably love what's going on. And sometimes you probably will. And another time, maybe we won't. But it does not matter. What ultimately matters is that God is lifted up and that our hearts are right that his name is made great. Not that my style is, is what the service is about. So brothers and sisters, the word brings authentic worship, not me-centered worship, not, hey, I like to do this kind of music, so it's got to be this kind of music. It's got to be, my. no, no. We bow before the throne of God, not in me-centered performance, but in heartfelt, humble worship. Of God. So the word brings forth authentic worship. Third, God's word brings forth a greater hunger to know God. God's word brings forth a greater hunger to know Him. And the word creates a longing for a deeper knowledge of God and a deeper knowledge of His word. We, we see that as the people here are trying to study and learn the word. So as a church, we gather like this, we gather corporately. Why? Because when the word is preached, uh, and we gather together as a, a church. It helps us grow in the Lord. It helps us know Him more. We gather together in smaller groups and Bible studies or, or Sunday school classes where we can read and study the Word and, and people can speak into our lives and help us think through how to apply the Word in our lives and, and people can pray for us and, and know what's going on in our lives. What we do is we gather corporately around the Word, we gather in smaller groups around the Word, and then individually as believers, we gather around the Word, studying the Word, reading the Word daily, memorizing the Word, letting the Word shape us. So we are committed to the Word, and the Word gives us a greater hunger for God. Now, I heard the story one time of a man who said to a preacher, it seems to me that Preaching is made much is is made too much of uh, of in a church that, that preaching is too much of an emphasis in in most churches, 
He says, what makes you think preaching really makes that big of a difference in someone's life? In fact, I'll bet you if we took our congregation and polled them, there's probably not one person who could say what you preached about four weeks ago. And then the man said, and to be honest, maybe only a handful who could say what you preached about last Sunday. Now, we're not going to take any polls this morning, (laughs) right? Um, And the preacher said to him, well, let me ask you, what did you have for lunch last Sunday? Or what did you have for lunch Sunday four weeks ago? Well, the, the man really couldn't remember what he had had for lunch. And the preacher said to him, but sir, it looks to me as if you've been sustained. It looks to me as if you're healthy and strong because of what you've eaten, regardless of whether you remember it directly or not. And it seems that the word of God has that effect in our lives. When we gather around the word, it sustains and shapes us. Even though we, we, most of us couldn't remember uh, what was preached about a certain two weeks ago, last Sunday perhaps, an hour from now, this Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Hopefully. Um, but the reality is that God's word shapes us and changes us. And, and it's, like a, it's like eating it. It just, it just keeps us going in the Lord. And it, it helps us know him more. And so we gather around the word together as a family that we might be sustained. We gather individually that we might know the Lord more. Fourth, God's word brings brokenness over sin. It brings brokenness over sin. We, we see that. And 9 through 11, as the people hear the word read, what are they doing? They're mourning. They're weeping. Why? Because they saw the glory and the holiness of God. And when we see how good and pure and holy God is, we recognize how sinful our hearts are and how proud our hearts are. And so the people begin to recognize that they were far from what God wanted them to be and their hearts were broken about it. You see, the word brings brokenness over sin. The word should not be like water off a duck's back. That is to say, when we read the word, it ought to reach us to the core. It ought to shake us to the core of who we are. I wonder today, if you're a believer, if your heart has become like a petrified stone where your heart has become hard. It was never meant to be hard, but maybe it has become hard. How do our hearts become hard? Well, the word tells us that our hearts become hard when God's word says something and we do the opposite. And we know it. If, if we're believers, now that's a different story if we're not believers, but if we're believers and we know God's word says this and then we go ahead and we do the opposite, our hearts become hard. And if we continue to do that, our hearts become very hard. And that's a scary place to be. And often it takes a very devastating event in our lives to break that heart of stone. But believe me, if you belong to God, he is faithful. And he will bring that heartbreak into your life because he loves you. And he will not allow you to persist in sin if you belong to him. He'll bring you to a place of repentance and brokenness. So brothers and sisters, I wonder today, what effect does the word have on your heart? Does it bring you to a place of brokenness over sin? If it doesn't, let us cry out to God and say to God, I want a tender heart. God, I do not want a hard heart. I don't want a heart that's like a petrified stone. God, I want a heart that's so tender towards you, that longs for obedience in every area, that's serious about you. That great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said this, 
Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin. A mourning that we have committed it. A resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. And you see, the word has that effect in our lives. It shapes us and it brings us to the place of hating what we once loved, the things that are sinful and wrong, and of loving the things that we once hated, the things that are right and good and true. So I wonder, what is your response to sin in your life? Do you, do you make sin little? Do you have a lot of pride? You're better than most people? But that's a little sin, right? Do you, do you make sin little or tiny? You have a lot of impurity in your life, and you look at stuff all the time that's dishonoring to God, but wow, you're not acting on those things, so that's little, right? So small. It's just not a big deal. You, you kind of spread things that might not be completely true. You, you heard this, and you need to tell your friend about it. And at lunch, you meet with your friends. Well, hey, I don't know, but this is what I heard. That's so little, right? People are killing people. That's so tiny. But when the word gets a hold of our hearts, those tiny sins, we recognize they're huge. They're gigantic. Why? Because God is pure in every sin. Even those that we try to make so little are filthy before a holy God. They're filthy. You see the word shapes and it transforms. Brothers and sisters, let's not have petrified hearts. Let's have hearts that are tender before God. And the word makes our hearts tender. So what should we do? We should call out to God in prayer and say, God, will you break my heart over my sin? Will you let the word shape me? So the word brings forth brokenness over our sin. Fifth, God's word brings forth joy. God's word brings forth joy as the people recognize that the word is calling them to celebrate. They they have joy. They have joy in the Lord. They have true joy, joy that lasts, joy that, that isn't dependent upon what happens here or what happens there. And you see, God's word brings that kind of joy in the life of a believer, a joy that, that endures even in the midst of the, the valleys of life and the difficulties of life. There can be a joy in the life of a believer. Why? Because we know the realities of God's word. What does the word teach us? It teaches us that no matter the sin that we've committed, there's forgiveness. Doesn't that bring joy? You don't have to live with the weight of your sin. In Christ, that weight can be gone. There's there's joy because you don't have to walk through the dark days of life and the difficult days of life on your own. The Bible tells us that he always walks with his children He'll never abandon you. So on your darkest day, he'll give you strength. He'll give you new ability to go on. His mercies are are new every morning. And so why can we have joy in the face of difficulty, in the face of the hardships of life? Because we know the truths of God's word. Why? Ultimately, because we know that no matter what this life throws at us, even if the worst comes at us, as it often does in a Genesis 3 world that's filled with brokenness and heartache and pain, we know if we are in Christ, there's an eternal hope that endures. So I may suffer in this life, but I will not suffer in the next. I'll have joy unending for eternity. You see, that enables me to live with joy through the hardships of today. 
through the anxiousness and brokenness of today. There's forgiveness, hope, God's loving care. These bring joy. All of us have seen the video clips where a dad comes home after being deployed and surprises the kids and the kids just run into their dad's arms and they're so thrilled and they're so happy and they're just so filled with joy and it's as if we too run to our father's arms as we as we come to the word and faith and we find joy that lasts in his arms some of you are out chasing other kinds of pleasures thinking hey i can go this way and that way and i'll find pleasure and joy i want to say to you friend it will not work. Oh, if I could just get in this relationship, I could find joy. Oh, if I could, if I could just land that job, if we could just move here, if this could just happen or that could just happen, oh, my life would be all together if I could just get this or if I had that. Oh, you may get that. You may have that. You may get that job. You may get that relationship, but I want you to know it will never fill your heart. Oh, it may for a little while, But it's a broken cistern. It's a pail with holes in the bottom. It cannot hold water ultimately. Why? Because God created you. He created you with a hole in your heart that only he can fill. So do you want joy? It will not be fine in chasing the things that this world has to offer, even the good things. It will only be found in him. Now some of you are here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus. You've Never become a child of God. Please understand, you can never have ultimate joy here on earth. And you certainly will not have joy for eternity unless you become a child of God. How do you do that? You've got to come to the place in your life where you say, God, I've been going my own way. I've been doing what I want. And I don't want to go that way anymore, God. I believe Jesus came. And he lived a perfect life here on earth. And I believe in him. And I want to follow him. I want to go this way, God. I want to follow you and walk with you. And if you do that and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says that you become a child of God. And you can know without a doubt that you're going to go to heaven one day if you truly become his child. So if you're here today, friend, and you've been looking in all kinds of places for life, I'm here to tell you life is found in Jesus found in him i plead with you to to turn to him and in faith and trust and so the word brings forth joy six god's word brings forth faithful leaders it brings forth faithful leaders as we talked about earlier with deuteronomy 6 the families were instructed moms and dads were instructed to teach their children the word of god all throughout the day and so When we think of faithful leadership in in our culture, in our time, dads, I want to say to you, you have responsibility for your wife spiritually. You have responsibility for your children spiritually. Bringing them to church is awesome. And saying to the kids, hey, we are going to church this Sunday. I know that you've got this going on and that going on and you'd love to skip church. But I'm saying as a family, we're committed to be in church because God's word calls us to gather together as a family and we're going to do that. And so as we need dads who will exercise that kind of uh, leadership. But all throughout the week, dads, you need to be instructing and teaching your kiddos in the Lord. You need to be letting the day-to-day be flavored by the word as you have conversations and, and such. I don't mean you sit down and lecture your kids 
uh, unending each day. That would not help them. But I mean throughout the day, as this happens or that happens, you bring the word to bear in, in what's happening. Uh, and moms, we need moms who will, who will minister and teach and disciple their kids. Praise God for faithful mamas. What a difference they've made in all of our lives. So, so some of you moms are so weary with kiddos and you're, you're so tired. I want to say to you, in ministering to your kiddos and teaching them the gospel, you are doing a good and eternal work, a priceless work. You keep it up. You don't lose heart. Let those kiddos see you love Jesus with all your heart. Oh, we need mamas that will be committed to the gospel day in and day out, instructing their, their babies. But the church needs leaders who are committed to the word of God. The church needs leaders, needs men and women who will study the word and become deep in the word and to lead according to the word. We, we need that for the health of, of God's people. We need those kind of leaders because we need a church that's ordered by the word. Now, we have an infatuation today with novelty or with... Uh, something new with programming. Maybe if we can come up with, with this fad as a church or we'll do this and, and then I heard this church was doing that. Let's try to do that. And, and we're just always looking for something new where the reality is this is what guides and orders the church. We really don't need to be looking at all of the crazy things the world is doing to try to figure out how to do church. No, we need to look to the word. We need leaders who know the word, who are committed to the word Vance Havner, that great old country preacher, he's gone on to be with the Lord now uh, uh, a few decades ago. I think he came here, as a matter of fact, at one point and preached. But this is a quote. If the time, money, and effort spent in trying to work up evangelism in lukewarm churches were spent in calling the churches themselves to repentance, confession, cleansing, and empowering, evangelism would be the natural result. We're trying to produce the results without the cause. The fruit without the tree. The New Testament epistle writers concentrated not on stirring up Christians to evangelize, but rather on deploying healthy Christians through spiritual food, rest, and exercise. Healthy Christians are naturally soul winners by life and by lip. What we need are leaders, and we need people in the church who are committed to the word, who are shaped by the word, who are committed to the authority of the word of God, to the sufficiency of the word of God, for the church. Seventh, God's word brings forth changed lives. God's word brings forth changed lives. As you see, when the people read about the Feast of Booths, they started doing it. They started obeying. And, and so when we read the word, if we read it with the right heart, it begins to create in us a hunger to obey God, to, to do what he says. So I would say to you, brothers and sisters, get a hold of the word. Get a hold of the word so that the word might get a hold of you. Get a hold of the word so that the word might get a grasp on you. You want your views, your thinking to be shaped by God's word, not by all of these other crazy voices out there. You want your perspectives and your life and the way you treat your spouse or the way you act towards your neighbor to be shaped not by your sinful flesh, but by the reality of the word. And the fact that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to shape and to change our wicked and ornery hearts. So, the Word is meant to change lives. The church is never meant to be a costume party. 
It's never meant to be a time where we play dress up. My daughter loves to play dress up. She loves to put on little gowns and this and pretend she's princess this or that. That, that's That's a joy to her. But church was never meant to be that, brothers and sisters. Church was never meant to be a dress-up party. No, we come here that we might learn the word so that we might live the word all throughout the week in the way that we treat people, the way that we respond to people, and the things that we do or don't do when we're all by ourselves. The word is meant to shape every aspect of our lives, how we behave in business deals, how we work and, and serve as an employee, how we serve as a boss, all of those things The Word is meant to shape every moment of every day. In other words, the Word is meant to bring deep internal change, not just a change of costume, but deep internal change. So let us pray that as we read the Word, let us pray that God will bring deep change in our lives. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, uh, wrote about his... uh, about his trust in the Lord when, when he converted and became a Christian. And prior to becoming a Christian, he had written, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. But not yet. He wasn't ready to follow God because he had lived a life of crazy, crazy wild living. He had grown up with a dedicated Christian mother. His dad was, was a leader in uh, the Roman government and, and was a pagan. But he was an incredibly smart child. In fact, he was called brilliant. And and he studied in the best of schools. And as a young man, he rejected Christianity. He said Christianity was for the simple-minded. And and he couldn't find the answers that he was looking for in Christianity. And so as as a young man, he embraced wild living. In fact, all kinds of, of sexual impurity marked his life. And he was trapped by his sexual passions. He embraced various philosophies, trying this or trying that. But ultimately, all of this while living, all of the philosophies of the world led him to a place of despair. And one day he was in a garden in Milan, and he heard a child in a sing-song voice saying, Take it and read it. Take it and read it. And he decided that this was God's way of saying to him, Get the book and read it. And so he got the Bible And he began to read, and he read in Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. And in these verses, there's a command to turn away from wild, licentious living and to embrace the Lord Jesus. And it struck him to his heart. And he said it was like light flooded his soul. And at that moment, Augustine was converted. And his life changed completely. It was a 180 His life completely changed. I wonder, has that happened in your life? Has there been a time where you have seen the truth and the reality of what God has said and you've turned and believed? If that has never happened in your life, don't leave here today without visiting with a a solid believer about it. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to be changed by him. And believers, I ask you, are you reading the word daily? Are you just too busy for God's word? Think about that. Think about that for a second. Think about that statement. I'm just too busy to read the word of God. If you're a believer, can you say that? I don't think we can. I don't think it's fair to say that. No, we have to be disciplined and carving out time to be in the word. So I plead with you, brothers and sisters. I mean it myself 
And I'm pleading with you for each one of us daily, let's read the book that we might be shaped and changed, that we might be transformed. And daily in our, in our homes or regularly, weekly, may we, may we spend time with our families around the word together, having times of family worship and devotion. And may we be committed to gathering together as a church family and making this a priority where the word is preached and we're singing songs that are filled with the truths of the word. May the word characterize our lives, brothers and sisters. Join me in prayer.